0: Thank you for listening to our midweek service from Christian Ministry Church. We're praying that this message blesses, encourages, and equips you to build the kingdom of God. And now a message from Pastor Paul Kern. Once again, great to have you here with us in our midweek service. And we are in the middle of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, this is part five for those of you who are taking notes. I know we have quite a few people that do like to do that. So if you want to go to uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to dive right in here. Matthew 5, verse 33. And man, I really want to bla- brag on uh, Chloe. What a great job Chloe did last Wednesday night. Man, she's putting the pressure on us guys now, I'm telling you. <clears throat> but in Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 33... We're going to talk about three different areas or three different passages that Jesus touched on. We're going to talk about vows, like making promises and keeping promises. We're going to talk about personal injustice, and we're going to talk about love for our enemies. Those are going to be the three areas that we're going to be talking about tonight in my part that I have with you. So, in starting verse 33, you've also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows or your promises. You must carry out the vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because that's God's throne. And do not say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the devil. All right, <clears throat> so we're going to dive into this now. Now, Jesus, in. Josh has talked, and and Pastor Tim has talked, and Chloe has talked, and we've been covering some different areas, six specifically that we've been looking at. Um, For example, we've talked about murder, we've talked about adultery, divorce, vows, we're going to be talking about an eye for an eye, and hate for your enemy. These are six areas that The religious leaders misinterpreted what God's God's law said. And so Jesus is coming back and correcting what they got wrong. This is what you guys have been teaching. You've been teaching the wrong thing. This is not right. Let me correct what you're doing. So they got these subjects all wrong. Now, what they did was is they lessened God's standard. In every case, they lessened God's standard. So we're going to look at vows. Now, in the Bible, there's some 30 biblical references to vows and keeping your promise. I mean, it's all throughout the Scripture. Most are in the Old Testament. Most of them are found there. The books of Leviticus and the books in uh, Numbers have a lot of this in it, several references to vows, like in relationship to, say, offerings and sacrifices, things like that. You can read about that. Um, I mean, they're not the most um, awesome read, Numbers in Leviticus, they're kind of tough, Um, but they do really reveal a lot of God's law and the importance of God's law for a group of people to live together and get along. And that was the whole point of all the laws. Now, for the Israelites who broke vows, especially a vow to God, there were dire consequences for them. This was, you didn't make a vow to God and not keep it. You didn't make a vow or make a promise to people and not follow through. It was a big deal. And I think that's the part about God's law that I like is that it is a big deal that we keep our word. It is important if we make a promise, okay? So let's do a little background information here to understand what Jesus is talking about. Now, the, the religious leaders of the day advocated keeping a vow if it was a public vow using God's name only. That was like, you didn't use God's name in public unless you were going to do it, right? But Jesus also mentioned some other things that they would swear by, right? That, you know, they would, oh, I swear by this. And so throughout the course of a day, if a person was in a conversation with somebody and they said, you know, I swear by heaven or I swear by earth or I promise by the city of Jerusalem. Well, that wasn't really binding because it wasn't like God, okay? So that wasn't really binding. So, so basically what they had done is, I promise you I'm gonna do that, but because I didn't promise in the name of God, I got a loophole. I may or may not follow through with that. We'll just have to see. If it works out for me and I can, I will, but if something better comes up or it's too difficult for me, then I'm not going to and and I'll be okay. So Jesus countered this idea. This is what he's doing. He says, listen, if you swear by something, it better be true. I don't care what it is. If if you're going to make a vow or a promise, then what you're avowing or what you're promising, you better do what you say you're going to do. And that's why Jesus went on to say, in fact, really, all you need to do is let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Your word should be good. And that should really, in any situation, your word should be all that's needed. You don't need to, I swear, I promise, I'll, you know, when when I'm around people and they start doing that, the first thing I'm thinking, it isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. There's no need to go overboard bolstering your word. Your yes is yes, your no is no, your word should be good, period. Psalms uh, chapter 15, verse 4, it describes a righteous person as one who keeps an oath or a promise even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Now, I remember when my boys were growing up and, you know, there was things happening, you know, wanting to go spend the night with friends or friends over to spend the night or somebody was having this or a party or whatever. Well, you know, earlier in the week, they would make a commitment to a friend that they were going to have them over or they made a commitment to a friend that they were going to go to their house. Well, they did that on Tuesday. Well, Friday afternoon, like all boys do, they don't plan nothing. And so Friday afternoon, plans start solidifying, and they come to me and they say, Dad, so-and-so is having such-and-such at his house, and I'm going to go there. And my answer always was, no, you're not. You're going to do what you said you were going to do Tuesday, just because something better or more fun or more convenient comes up, you can't go back on your word. Your word is your bond. You gave your word. You've got to do what you say you're going to do. And I think that's a very important thing to keep uh, to teach your children so that later in life, you know, we, we continue to keep our promises. Even in tough situations, you know, uh, Pastor Tim and I talk about this all the time, but, but people tell you, I'll be there at such and such time. And then they don't show up. I've had a guy that I was supposed to meet with for the last two weeks. He showed me three different times he was going to meet me at such and such time, and he hadn't made it yet. When I tell somebody I'm going to be there, guess what? I mean, unless there's a flood of, you know, no attic proportions, I'm going to be there because <laughs> that's what I said I was going to do. So, so Je- now, now understand, Jesus is not condemning promises He's not condemning contracts. He's not condemning agreements. We all have those. Jesus was speaking of the kind of vow made when a person says, like, y'all remember this one? I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Y'all remember that one? Yeah. You know, don't do that. That's what Jesus is saying. I swear on a stack of Bibles. Not one Bible, a whole stack of Bibles. I swear on a stack of Bibles. Or I swear on my mother's life. I mean, I've heard people say that. And Jesus is saying, just let your yes be yes and <laughs> your no But, you know, don't get into making flippant oaths. That's what Jesus is warning us about. Now, his teaching is not meant to discourage careful, thought-out promises like uh, a marriage commitment, right? Or a contract agreement. Like you make a contract agreement. Let's say, for example, you go into a lease for an apartment for a year and you sign that contract. Well, that your word ought to be there, and you're going to be there for a year. Or let's say you get a cell phone, and you signed a contract, and I have to stay in this contract, and well, you ought to follow all the way through with that and do what you say you're going to do. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So the principle is clear. Be careful about making vows, making promises, either to the Lord or to one another. Jesus is saying your words should be enough. If we're going to do something or not do something, it ought to be clear, and we ought to follow through. Amen? Amen. All right, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, Jesus is teaching us on personal injustice. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer of the other cheek. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. All right, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That was a fundamental Old Testament civil law principle. It taught that the punishment had to fit the crime, okay? That's the whole point of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The punishment had to fit the crime. Now, understand, once again, Jesus isn't saying that this Old Testament law is bad. Actually, this is a really good law. It's It's a great law, as a matter of fact. It represented God's righteousness, and it was especially good because It allowed for fairness in the administration of justice when you're wronged, okay? And and this is important. It restrained man's sinful nature from taking somebody, you know, they did this to you, but you're going to one-up them and go far beyond what they did to you in repayment. And and typically when someone hurts us, we want more than an eye. You hurt my eye? Well, I want your arm... I want your leg and half your family, you know? I mean, that, that's, that's our sinful nature, right? That's the way our sinful nature works. <laughs> In Genesis 34, I don't know if y'all have ever read the story about uh, Jacob's daughter getting raped, uh, Dinah. She got raped. Well, her brothers found out about it. And instead of taking the man who raped her, and taking him to court, and letting the courts do what the courts do, you know what they did? They went into the village, and they killed every single man there. All of them. <clears throat> a life for a life. No, a whole lot of lives for a life. And they didn't even, I mean, they didn't even take her life. Not that I'm justifying rape ever for any reason, but it wasn't I for an eye. So, they took much more than an I. And, and, There was a lot of blood feuds in the Bible. How many of y'all remember the Hatfields and McCoys? You know, we've made all kinds of movies about the Hatfields and McCoys. Man, you talk about a blood feud. Somebody did something wrong, well, we're going to come back and do twice as wrong to you. Well, what that does is now we're going to do twice as wrong to you that the wrong you did to us. And all of a sudden, now everything is escalated and out of control. So, God's law restrains sin. God's law restrains us going beyond what we should be going beyond. Now, the Pharisees applied the law of eye for an eye, not just to the courts, but also to personal relationships, which really only justified the sinful human nature that we all have. They wrong me, it's my right to wrong them. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's what they're saying here in this situation. Well, Jesus comes along, and Jesus says, listen, as a believer and, and a citizen of the kingdom of God, your nature is not the old nature. Your nature is the new nature. And you don't respond the same way that the old nature responds. So, As we look at this, we're to live as citizens of heaven on earth. Well, so how should we respond when other people hurt us? How should we respond when other people slander our name? In other words, they make up lies and falsehoods about us. How should we respond when we're mistreated by other people? Let's look at what Jesus says about this. Jesus says, blessed are those who who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. If we model the characteristics of the kingdom, seen here in the Sermon on the Mount, we are going to be hated and persecuted by the world, by unbelievers. That's what the Bible says. It makes it very clear. So so we all know that as Christians, unbelievers are going to hate us and unbelievers are going to persecute us. Jesus warns us about this. So, not only does this, what Jesus is talking about, cover the world attacking us, but it also covers other relationships that we have, relationships with family, relationships with acquaintances, people that we work with, whatever. So, our response on a personal level should not be fighting for our rights, seeking an eye for an eye. But sacrificing our rights, even as Christ did when he was on this earth, and Jesus went to the cross for things that he was falsely accused of that he did not do. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was standing before his accusers, it said he was silent, he didn't say a word, he didn't even respond to their accusations. And all the horrible things that they were saying about Jesus and making fun of him and mocking him and spitting on him and pulling out, Jesus never responded. Now, I want to do a little bit of clarification to this passage because the, the, the teachings on this passage probably are some of the most abused verses in Scripture, okay? So I want to cover a couple of things here because I want to make sure that we're all thinking right. Some people have used this passage to, to support pacifism. In other words, you don't get involved in the military, you don't, you don't serve your country, you're not going to have any kind of violence. War is never justifiable ever for any reason. That's what we call pacifism, right? And a lot of people have used this scripture for that. So the question is, does do not resist an evildoer, when Jesus said that, Does that mean that we should never resist an evil person? And I think this is a good question to answer. I think it's important for us to understand. And the answer is no, that's not what it means. So let's let's look at Jesus here because he's our example. In this section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is confronting Pharisees who were teaching evil. He's confronting evil. In this passage, he's doing it. He is Jesus. He is confronting false teachings. He is confronting people who are doing evil things right here in this passage. As a matter of fact, he did the same thing in John chapter 2. Remember when Jesus went into the temple? What did he have in his hand? A whip? I mean, he cut loose on a whole lot of people. He turned over all their money tables because these people were cheating righteous worshipers In God's house, they were doing evil, and Jesus didn't say, Well, we just have to pray that it all works out. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus responded to evil in culture. Now, as Jesus did this, and Jesus is teaching us, I guess the next question I would say is Does Christ's command to turn the other cheek? mean that we should never defend ourselves against someone? Because I've heard people say, you know, well, Paul, you know, Jesus said if they slap you on your face, you're supposed to turn the other cheek and just let them just keep slapping you all day long. Is that what Jesus was really saying? Well, it doesn't seem to be the cultural meaning of the statement. I think when Jesus refers to being slapped on the right cheek, he's not referring to being physically slapped. That's that's not the point that Jesus is making, and Jesus does this a lot in his teachings. To be slapped on the right cheek, someone would need to use the backside of their hand because most people are right-handed. So if they're going to slap you on your right cheek, they're going to have to backhand you with their hand. Now, culturally, to the Jewish people, that was a deep insult, I mean, it's one thing to slap with an open hand coming this way, but it's a whole other level of insult to slap somebody with the back of your hand. So according to the rabbinical law, being slapped with the back of the hand was twice as more offensive as being slapped with the front of your hand. So Jesus taught that his followers should not respond evil for evil, Right? We should not slap back or try to hurt people when they hurt us. Clearly, Jesus is not advocating getting in a fight. As a matter of fact, you know, it takes a… Any any weak person can get in a fight. It takes a really strong person to avoid a fight. You got to have strong character… You got to have a lot of self control. You got to be able to control your emotions to stay out of a fight. That takes a really strong person to do that. So, what Jesus is saying here, we should be willing to take the suffering and give up our right to retaliate, right? Tit for tat, eye for eye. That's not how we're supposed to be as believers. We are citizens of a different kingdom, and we live by a different nature. Go with me to second uh, Peter. I'm sorry, First Peter, chapter two. I want to look at a couple of verses here. First Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. Jesus says, "For what credit is it if you sin and are mistreated and endure it?" But if you do good and you suffer and so endure, this finds favor with God. For two, this you were called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, he committed no sin, there was no deceit found in his mouth. When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but he committed himself to God who judges justly church, the bottom line is Jesus changes our lives. We're different. We're different than we used to be. I'm so glad I'm not the same guy. I'm different. We no longer consider it our duty to get even with people. My, my motivation as a believer now is not eye for an eye. It's not tooth for a tooth. That's not my motivation. Now, that's fine for the courts. And I think that's appropriate for the courts. The Bible teaches us that. But not in our relationships to other people, not even to our enemies. And that's where Jesus is about to take this thing next. Jesus committed himself to God. God is the one who will judge justly. And God is the one who will take vengeance for the things that have been done wrong. So I'm glad that Jesus was not fair with me. How about you? If Jesus had been fair with me and given me what I deserved, I would be in big trouble. I'm thankful that Jesus did not do what was fair when it came to dealing with me and my sin and the things that I did wrong in my life or do wrong still in my life. As Jesus's followers, we pray for the welfare of our friends and we pray for the welfare of our enemies. That's what we're called to do. We put up with the sins of other people. We put up with the insults of other people for Christ's sake and for their sake. So that hopefully they will come to know Christ when they see us living by a completely different power than what they are living by. Now listen, we've all been hurt. Amen. And we've all hurt. We fall into both categories. Nobody is exempt. We have all been hurt, and we have all hurt other people. That's just the way it is. So we don't run from hurt, just like Jesus. We appear weak, but we're strong. We may appear weak when we don't respond, but we're not. We're strong. Only the most powerful people in the world can live a life of forgiveness and love when people do you wrong you got to be really powerful to be able to do that. As a matter of fact, here's the secret. It's not your power. It's his that's inside of you, that lives in you every single day. He empowers us to rise above our enemies and the wrongs and injustices that are done to us in life. Let's go on. Love your enemies, verse 43. You have heard that the law says love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good, and He sends His rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? See, Jesus is talking about being different. We're different. We're supposed to be different. He says even pagans do that. But look at verse 48. But you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when Jesus said we are to love our enemies... He was creating a new standard for relationships that have never existed up to this point. You talk about an upside-down kingdom, you talk about something radical, you talk about something crazy, Jesus is introducing it here. Jesus explained to his followers that they should adhere to the real meaning of God's law by loving their enemies as well as loving their neighbors. We're not, just to call, we're not just called to love the people that we go to church with. We're called to walk in love toward people who say hurtful things against us, who mean to see us suffer, people who consider themselves to be our enemies. A Pharisee once asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? He asked him in Luke chapter 10, verse 29, and Jesus shared the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're all familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. And here Jesus taught that his followers had to demonstrate love to all different kinds of people. Different races, different nationalities, different religions, even your enemies. Even your enemies. Wow. If you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Jesus said, You truly reveal that He is the Lord of your life. You truly reveal it. it. It's a litmus test to reveal to you are you Lord of your life? Are you calling the shots in your life? Or is Jesus Lord of your life and His love calling the shots in your life? Love your enemies pray for those who persecute. See, Jesus is teaching us that we have to live by a higher standard than what the world expects. When the world attacks us, they expect us to attack back. That's exactly what they expect. And really, this standard that Jesus is talking about, it's absolutely impossible for us to attain. We simply cannot do it. Because when people hurt me, I naturally want to hurt them back. That's what I want to do. I want justice. I want I for an eye. It's only through the power of God's Holy Spirit, living in your life. Literally, Jesus is living so big in you, and his heartbeat is in your chest that you can love other people who mean to do you harm. It, it's, it's only by the power of Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, he said, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. And it's just impossible for a sinful man to achieve this. It's, un- it's an unattainable standard. You, you can't obtain it. James chapter 2 talks about it in verse 10. So how can Jesus demand the impossible of us? How can Jesus demand that we are perfect as our Father is perfect, that we love our enemies and, you know, not just our neighbors, but we love our enemies. How can Jesus ask that? Well, in Matthew chapter 19, later in Jesus's life, Jesus made this statement. He says, well, man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And what is impossible becomes possible when Christ becomes the Lord of your life. You know, I remember when I was younger, and I, you guys have heard my testimony lots of different times about growing up in a very dysfunctional family, a broken home. My father was a really hard man to live with, and he, he did a lot of really hurtful things to me growing up. And I walked in so much unforgiveness toward my father for so many years. I'm talking about BC years, before Christ. And then at 23, I had a real encounter with the Lord, and Jesus came into my life And over a period of years, Jesus began to soften my heart, change my attitude, change my disposition, and he began to put a love in my heart toward a man who I had not had relationship for many, many years, and I hated. Jesus accomplished that change in me. And because of that, I was able to let that hurt go, no longer rehearse it no longer eye for eye, no longer every day going over it and talking about it and giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to all the things that my dad had done wrong. I just let it go. I gave it to God. I said, God, I want to see my dad as a new creature. I'm not gonna keep him in that box. I'm gonna set him free from the unforgiveness that I've had in my heart toward him. And God, I'm asking that you begin to move in my father's life in a big way. And I'll tell you, Within about four years, my dad was born again, his life was changed, and when my dad passed, he entered into eternity with God in heaven. And I think it had a whole lot to do with forgiveness. I think it had a whole lot to do with it. And not only did, did that release my father, and I, and, I, and I could tell you some really cool, now my dad was still a pretty rough stone (laughs) you know he wasn't all polished or anything but he was definitely a changed person but I, i have so many awesome stories i could tell you of things that happened after i let go of all that hate after i let go of an eye for an eye after i let go of the personal injustice that had been done for me and i just gave it to god and i said god you have forgiven me of so many things that I've done wrong. How could I not possibly forgive him? How could I not possibly let that go after all that you've done for me? Absolutely. But you can't do this unless Jesus lives inside of you. Because I tried to forgive my father before Christ, and it was just impossible. Because, And here's why. Because even if I forgave my father of all of the things that he ever did and all of the disappointments that he didn't do this for me and he didn't take me here and he didn't go here and all, even if I forgave him of all those things. Do you know what? The next day when I wake up, my dad's still the same person. He's still the same man who is capable of doing wrong and he's probably going to do something wrong again. So if we base our forgiveness of people upon them coming to us and saying they're sorry, if we base our forgiveness of people upon their response to us or them making changes in their life, we'll always be controlled by people. Here's the key. When Jesus was on the cross, there were seven things that he said, and one of the most powerful sayings that Jesus said on the cross was this, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished what's finished? The work of redemption, the work of forgiveness. And I'll never forget after my wife and I, we uh, got engaged and I was calling my dad because I wanted my, the Lord had done some things in our relationship and I wanted my dad to to come and be a part of our wedding and really be involved in my wedding, be an intricate role in my wedding. And I, I remember my dad saying to me, no, I'm not coming to that. I'll just be in the way. And I was like, now I'm talking after I'd gone through a journey of forgiveness and and repentance and God doing a lot of awesome stuff. When it came time for me to get married to my beautiful wife, my dad said, I'm not coming. And you know what? He didn't come. He didn't come to my wedding. My dad wasn't even there. And I remember when I hung up that phone, how hurt I was when my dad told me he wasn't coming and I remember the devil whispering something in my ear. He said to me, see, nothing's changed. But then all of a sudden I felt this power come up inside of me and it said in my ear, everything's changed, it is finished. And church, I'm telling you when you learn the art of forgiveness and Christ comes into your life You are able to forgive people not based upon what they do or they don't do to you. People are going to do things wrong all the time. We do things wrong all the time. But the key is, is that we forgive people based upon what Jesus accomplished on that cross. And it's so powerful and it's so freeing because you will no longer be controlled by people. You'll be controlled by love. Love will be the force in your life that guides all that you do. And then, even though people hurt you, guess what? You're able to forgive. You're able to move on. Now, I'm not saying that you forget. I haven't forgot the things that my dad did to me, but they no longer control me. I no longer give mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for those things. I settled those accounts with the Lord and with my father. That's done, and it's taken care of, and now I can live free And when we do that, what that does is it removes, the word unforgiveness means to imprison, and the word forgiveness means to set free, if you do a little word study on that. And what we do is when we hold people in unforgiveness, we put them in a box of our own making, and we say, they'll never be any different than that. They will always be that way their whole life. And I had done that with my dad because that was a protection mechanism in my life because all the hurt that he had done to me, listen, buddy, I got this on you. I'll always have this on you. But for me to release him and let that go, whew, man, you talk about that wasn't easy. But it was absolutely necessary if I was going to be able to go into the ministry and work with hundreds and thousands of people over the years that I've worked in, and still be able, after hurt and ridicule and people saying things and making up lies about me that aren't even true, to be able to still do ministry and love people, there's only one way that you can do that. You do it through the power of Jesus. Can I have an amen? Amen. Stand with me tonight. Let's just, let's just take one minute here and we're going to end. We're, we're a minute over time, but I want to pray for you real quick. Father, tonight, I pray that my words, Lord, the words that I said that were really speaking to the hearts of some people here tonight have been struggling with forgiveness. Maybe forgiving themselves or forgiving others. God, I pray tonight That you will set them free and god that they will have an encounter with love in such a way that they have never had and god that they will be free of the of the hurt and the shame and the bitterness and the resentment and the unforgiveness god tonight in the name of jesus i release my brothers and sisters that are in this room, those that are listening by podcast and live stream, I release them through the power of Jesus' name. We plead your blood. Lord, we ask that you forgive us for our wrong attitudes and our unforgiveness. Wash us clean. And Lord, we ask that you help us to live a new life in you under a new kingdom, a new king, and a new power. God, we thank you that you are faithful. Now, Lord, I know that this doesn't happen in a prayer just immediately, but, God, I pray that this will be a seed that will begin uh, an experience of change and freedom in people's lives as they listen to this so that they can truly be kingdom people. And the world will look at them, and they'll be astounded. You mean you're not angry? You're not mad? You're not bitter? Nope. I'm not. As a matter of fact, I've been praying for you, and I love you, and I'm believing the best for you. God, we thank you for that power. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've accomplished for us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.